podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of Rival Recon for the 22-23 Premier League season. With the Reds having played every game they possibly could last time round, securing a domestic double and missing out by the narrowest of margins in the league, can Klopp's side reset and ready themselves again for what's sure to be another intense battle for supremacy in the Premier League? On today's show, we're looking ahead to Liverpool's opening game of the season, which is a 12.30 kickoff away to promoted champions Fulham. So joining me on the pod to share his perspective on what shape Marco Silva's side are in and how much the Cottagers will miss Carvalho and how Mitrovic and co. will fare this time around in the Premier League, I'm delighted to welcome back Farrell Monk from the Fulhamish podcast. Welcome back, Farrell. Hi, Harry. How are you doing? I'm okay. I think as we were speaking, uh, speaking about just before the pod, um, yeah, nowhere near as uh, sort of... Um, uh, fragile, um, as some of those, uh, England women players now after the Euros, after the Euros win yesterday, we're talking about the Randy, Randy Savage-esque, uh, sort of glasses that they were wearing. Um, but yeah, I think p- perhaps the only, the only, uh, sort of slight illness I feel is the fact that it's already, it's already a new season <laughs> and it's, um, <laughs> it's come around incredibly quickly. And, uh, yeah, I think the, the community shield is always that sort of signaler, isn't it? Obviously on the weekend, I didn't actually end up watching the game, but, um, I think that's the one that lets you know it's 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 right around the corner. So, yeah, getting ready to it, and of course you'll be yeah you're the first discussion of the season um, that I've got here, sort of planned for rival recon throughout the throughout the season. Uh, and yeah, last time round uh, with Liverpool playing every possible game they could, um, that was obviously very very arduous and tough on the podcasters as well, um, as well as the athletes who were running <laughs> who were running across the pitch. But um, yeah, I'm really glad that. Uh, Fulham are back in the league and uh, we, we have a chance to catch up again. It's, it's been a while since we last spoke, but um, before we get into sort of you know, what to expect this season, I suppose, I mean, even actually um, before we get into sort of last season, um, sort of winning the championship, I, I, I want to go even further back to the appointment of Marco Silva as, as head coach at Fulham um, because obviously the fact that uh, Parker had departed um earlier and, and gone to Bournemouth who then actually ended up being sort of you know your direct sort of uh title rivals um I, I just wanted to sort of ask you to cast your mind back there and um sort of get a gut check for how the fans were feeling when that appointment was made yeah it was it, it was at a particular time when um you know to put in the context of it that usually when a team gets relegated from the Premier League that their managerial situation is usually wrapped up fairly early on in, yeah. in the summer because usually the, the 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 
the manager who was the incumbent in the season previously would have been long gone before the season had ended. But this wasn't the case. So we were there halfway through sort of um, what would be the sort of preparing for the championship season with no manager in place. Um, and, you know, any sort of potential targets, pro- managerial targets probably would have been picked up by that point. So um, I think a lot of the fans were feeling a bit aggrieved by the fact that Parker had left us there. However, we found ourselves in that situation and a lot, of, there weren't many, that many targets uh, being floated around. And it, you know, I'm trying to sort of, my memory isn't great at the best of times, but I don't really remember Marco Silva actually being on the fans or, or uh, in the media's radar when mm. he was actually uh, announced as as our manager. And quickly, obviously, we, you know, podcasters and fans alike went straight to Google to sort of try and re- refresh our memory about who and what Marco Silva was about and uh, probably remembered that he was uh, three he had three clubs within one year going from Watford to Hull and, uh, and to Everton and Everton was probably his highest profile appointment. And I'm sure that yourself and many other Liverpool fans have, have a uh, great joy in seeking out the fact that it wasn't the most successful time in, in Everton's, hmm. um, Everton's Premier League spells to date, but it's actually turned out not to be not, the not, worst, not the worst. <laughs> in, re- in recent history. Um, long may it continue at Frank Hamp, Frank Lampard at the helm, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, he quickly set about trying to sort of think about how he wanted to set about his, how he wanted to set about uh, and talk about what, what he wants this Fulham team. And he definitely wanted attacking, attacking mindset of this team. He certainly spoke mm. very highly of the players that were there already. Certainly some who were actually pretty much forgotten in the Premier League era. You know, you're talking about players like Adoy, Tim Ream, um, you know, uh, other players like Niskins Cabano as well. And he thought, nope, this is my squad. They're the types of players that have I can rely upon in part that Fulham have relied upon in previous seasons. Those are the type of players that um that we're gonna that we're gonna utilize. And we did, and we did to a plum and um yeah, and he he did it very effectively. Yeah, and I think it's a bit of a sea change there in terms of sort of the approach, as you mentioned, I think that one thing I did, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I, I saw it get labelled towards Parker was that he, he wasn't playing the most thrilling football in the world um, uh, or, or getting Fulham to play the most sort of thrilling football in the world when he was when he was in charge. Uh, and Marco Silva, yeah, there's been sort of an inconsistent record there with, with his, his managerial appointments. I forget who it was. There was that one particular Sky Pundit who particularly disliked Silva for some reason. I can't remember who it was, maybe Paul Merson. Hmm. Um, but yeah, really, really disliked Marco Silva. I was like, why are we appointing these... Uh, yeah, these foreign managers, etc. Um, but that's a big shift, right? He, he comes and he wants to play a more attacking style of football. Uh, and you mentioned they're sort of resurrecting, almost pulling players who may have been on the periphery back into the fold. Uh, then even as you mentioned, not getting that time to actually prepare in preseason, probably sort of pursue his own targets. You have to really be you know, pragmatic in, in many ways. Um, how did that team of his start to take shape and what were some of the the sort of the early signs that you noticed that okay this the side's playing differently and there could be sort of the foundations to build on here um it does it can take a little bit of time the same way that when parker first had his first full season uh with fulham in the championship 
um, you're quite right in saying that um, the football was less attacking and less sort of trying to create the impetus to go forward and you know uh, and that didn't really shape until the after the first three or four months into the season and the same pretty much was on Marco Silva I wouldn't say it was a slow start by any stretch of the imagination um, we in the first game of the season we played um, Nottingham Forest we drew one all which eventually not Nottingham Forest here, I do apologize it was Middlesbrough at one all which eventually uh, we thought that Middlesbrough at the time would be one of the teams at the top of the teams near the top of the table. And we were fairly happy with what we saw straight away, especially since that um, uh, our new signing, uh, technically loan signing from Liverpool, Harry Wilson, was starting that day and picked up a goal straight away. Um, um, and it again, it, it did take a good couple of months for it to come through. But there were some big results in the way that sort of had um, along the way that did have the you know, the makings of actually we've got something special coming here. We went to Huddersfield um, and won 5-1, who, who was a team that eventually in the, ended up in the playoffs. And Fulham were down to 10 men at the time for, for, for quite some time in that game as well. Um, it, it wasn't until sort of the, you know, when you got into the sort of colder months, there was that time with three, there were three matches in a week where Fulham scored 19 goals. And it was when, that was when things started to really, really kick on. Um but the it was obviously that Marco Silva had probably a bit of luck in in the way that the team sort of was able to uh, stabilize um, as well, because when he took over, like I said, he had all of these players already available to him, and it was only a couple more signings along the way that really helped. Uh, helped it go, like the aforementioned Harry Wilson. Uh, we also had p- players like John Michel, John Michel Seri, who, oh, yeah, forgotten. Um, you know, much, who, who was very much forgotten. He, he started a considerable amount of games in the Premier League first time round with his big money move. Um, and then obviously went on loan for a couple of years and now has obviously came back and wanted to embed himself in the team and did, and did so with a plum. Um, so it was only we really needed a couple of players to sort of really kick the team on. Whereas Parker, when you think when fans don't really sort of think about the context of the situation, when we went back down to the championship, it was a massive rebuilding process to to get the team going again. Um, but it did take some time to sort of embed the style of play that he wanted, which was a more slow paced tactical sort of game, which was very much a case of get the lead solidify that lead maybe we can catch a goal at the end hmm. uh that's basically what he tried to take into the into the premier league he it was a bit more i wouldn't turgid is a is a word that a lot of the fans have have bounded around <laughs> um i think a lot of it was but i think again it's the premier league like you're not going to open up teams at will however when when after parker left that there was you that uh, specifically players like tim ream he was very open about the fact that Marco Silva's been very much more, let's be more open, let's actually utilise the fact that we are a better team than the other opposition, but don't rest on that fact that people say that, let's actually perform that way. And, you know, we don't, we've obviously, we also, with players like Tim Ream and Tosin Adarabayo, they are ball-playing centre-backs, let's use them as well. And Tim Ream is, although he's well into his 30s now, he wants to get the ball forward, he wants to get it, quickly forward he wants to take on their strikers and he and he does it and um 
uh silver allows those players to do that but yeah again it it it, it did take a little while to come through but there were there were some absolute magical moments that showed that this team was going to go far. I think we beat Nottingham Forest 4-0 away from home. Again, a team that went into the playoffs. We beat Reading 7-0 away from home. We beat Blackburn 7-0 away from home, which was just before they went on went on this magical unbeaten run, uh, which was strange to say that they that maybe motivated them after their 7-0 defeat, defeat by <laughs> Fulham. So, um, you know... So maybe if uh, we beat Liverpool this Saturday seven nil, that you'll go on and win the league or something. That's yeah, that, that's the impetus that we that we need. I think yeah, that's, that's, that's certainly. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm looking at the fixtures in January and yeah, uh, as you mentioned, that was a fun few weeks, right? Now <laughs> seven nil, <laughs> seven nil, six two, six two. I mean, and then a three two, uh, a tighter game, but even more sort of sat, um, satisfying. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I think yeah, January and February sort of incredibly strong months there. From looking at the results and sort of probably the the meat of the season actually ended up securing the securing the title. Um, and I think when we're looking at games like that, where we see score lines like that, um, I think it's uh, sort of brings us on to talking about the, the players who were key for Marco Silva last mm-hmm. season. And obviously, we, we will be coming to to Mitrovic because he's a very interesting character, but. Who were the other players that you that you saw as sort of integral to, uh, you know, ultimately winning the uh, winning the championship? I think if we work from the back, it's you know, T- Tim Ream has been an absolute legend for the club over the right. since he joined in two thousand and fifteen. It's strange to think he's actually, even though he is held in such high regard, it's strange to think he's actually been at the club for so long. Yeah, it's a long time. Um, and um, he's not and it's it's so easy to think okay long stalwart championship defender surely he's just very uh stable gets his foot on the ball just lays it off to the 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 good players just gets in the way but that's absolutely not not what he's all about yeah he's a great defender and a brilliant tackler and uh, and whatnot but i think that detracts on what a, an excellent footballer he is and I think that's what he brings to Fulham's team and the team last year and every single championship promotion team that we've had. Uh, and even when we got to the playoffs and get didn't succeed, um, is that strikers don't expect him to be able to, for this defender to take them on and, and succeed. And from there, he can beat a man from centre back and launch launch uh the teams on onto attack many attacks start through him and you just don't expect that to be the case um you know i was watching i watched part of the friendly that fulham i was on a train yesterday so i couldn't really watch all of it um fulham played in a friendly yesterday and there's been a lot of murmurings about tim reen now because he's 34 years old as he prepared for the premier league mm. um and i saw him bamboozle two villarreal strikers <laughs> <laughs> on the ball which you just don't don't expect but you know alongside him we've got tosim adarabaya who we signed from man city for an absolute absolute steal at two million pounds um again a you know tall commanding center back but excellent on the ball and um, got a great range of passing as well, is able to, you know, find the op- opposite uh, winger. And that's very much the the sort of basis for the, the Marco Silva team that built on the success last year because, you know, we are an excellent footballer. We were an excellent footballing team up the pitch, but that all came through right throughout the team and starting at the back as well. Um, you know, other 
other big players, uh, the reemergence of Niskins Cabano, who's always been a bit of a cult cult figure at Fulham, um, struggled in uh, to get to have a long standing in in the club in the team. Uh, we'll have these snippets of um, bits of good form. Would come off the bench, get a goal, uh, then maybe have murmurings that he'd get a first team slot get a first team slot for a couple of games and then fade away again it was only okay. really towards the end of our last championship uh, season when we went up by the playoffs um he was virtually non-existent most of the season and then went on a scoring run of scoring like four in five games right at the end of the season and scored in the playoffs and then all of a sudden everyone's like oh oh yeah I forgot about him he's he's actually pretty good <laughs> Um, and, but pretty much last year he played most of the games and was, was great. Um, towards the end of the season, he did sort of tail off a little bit, but it was great to see the reemergence of him. And he's always playing with a smile on his face and you'll see him featured a lot in the club videos as well. Uh, he's obviously a very popular figure in the, in the dressing room. Um, the two, if you want to say the two newer lads in inverted commas that really came and seem and changed things, Harry Wilson, exception coming off the right hand side uh likes to play sort of uh the inside forward role um allowing the fullback to go in behind while he's sort of influencing things a bit closer to the striker but mm. um i'm sure liverpool fans know a fair amount of him um yeah he got the most assists last season by quite some distance as it's well. an interesting one with him um, as well because i think just to sort of um dwell on wilson for a second because uh i think i think when people were justifying why he moved on and sort of why was this um, sort of boy not being given more of an opportunity he had all his pedigree you know, the the young caps for Wales and sort of the that the highlight reel free kicks as you mentioned that that vision seemed to be there but I'm not sure exactly what it was but something was lacking for for Klopp for him to become a sort of a first team regular and obviously the yeah the standards are really really high um so it's 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 no, um, it's no shame to fall short of it. But in terms of the player that he actually has has developed and actually um, turned into, uh, you were talking about it there, sort of his, the main position where you find him and sort of where he was most effective for them. Where was that? So yeah, it, mainly he featured on the right hand side. I think almost predominantly um, the what would um, Marco Silva tried a lot of times to play a a an attacking sort of 4-1-4-1 formation um but that kind of meant that Wilson when when we were when he we were on the ball um the the two sort of attacking midfielders which was usually Fabio Carvalho and Harrison Reed um they would sort of um almost go into a free roll sort of position um but would maintain the sort of right and left uh, areas of the pitch whereas we had quite attacking fullbacks whether it was on the right hand side either it was Dennis Adoy or or Kenny Tete or later on in the season Neko Williams another Liverpool link they would sort of go right round the outside and influence play behind Harry Wilson or on that right hand side would be Harrison Reed um it meant that Harrison Reed was often found going towards the byline the set and on the opposite side Fabio Carvalho was on the byline trying to sort of take on their the what would be if there was there if they if the opposition were playing a four at the back it would be their center back or if they were playing five at the back it would be their right or left center back um in the sort of as I referred to the love handles of the penalty box 
it meant that Har- uh, Harry Wilson was able to um, sort of find a position where the space was, whether that was on the outside trying to sort of get one-twos with the full core uh, Harrison Reed to get in behind them or or, um, or basically picking the ball up uh, where they had gone to follow those players to the byline. He might drop a bit deeper to the edge of the penalty box where those players would have vacated to pick the ball up, maybe fire a cross in from deep or get a shot away. Um, and it was very, it was very effective from that position. Um, I don't know if Liverpool play a slightly different, slightly different system. I mm-hmm. haven't seen a huge amount of them the last year, but obviously you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold absolutely fizzing in balls from the right-hand side. And that's obviously very, very potent where you've got Mo Salah just influencing play wherever he is all over the pitch. Whereas it, it seems that Marco Silva had a very prescribed position for him in attacking position. Sure. And it worked very, very well. Um, it, it did change slightly throughout the season. I think, um, quite a lot of times it was a case of the fullback, um, earlier on the season would have been Adoy or Tete and, uh, and Harry Wilson just sort of playing in between the two, just trying to find that crossing position. Um, just to be able to get it in for Mitrovic to get ahead on it. But as teams cottoned onto that, I think they changed it to what we saw more of with Harrison Reed coming up further up the field as well. Whether we'd see that next season, I don't know. Um, it seemed to work very, very well. It might change because, um, of the personnel difference. Uh, Jean-Michel Serri has now actually moved on upon the expiry of his contract to Hull, quite interestingly. Um, so that means that at the moment it looks like Harrison Reed will drop a bit deeper, um, uh, alongside uh, one of our new signings, uh, Cal Polinia, which might mean a positional shift for Harry Wilson. It might see him in a more sort of traditional winger position, especially since if our fullbacks are being pinned back a bit more, it might see him trying to take on the opposition fullback, uh, a bit more, trying to create just crossing opportunities. For Mitrovic, I don't know. Remains to be seen, really. Yeah, and in terms of sort of creating opportunities for for someone to finish off, I mean, yeah, it's it's about time that we were going to be coming to talk about Mitrovic, right? Forty three goals. Uh, it's 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 hard not to talk about that. Uh, and <laughs> it's just a, a fascinating character in, in terms of. I mean, I think just just to be simple about it, you look at his record when playing in this league or playing in the championship, rather, and then. Maybe sometimes um, found it harder to, to translate that sort of um, uh, performance, that sort of aura when he has come up to the Premier League. I mean, just speaking about him, I mean, last season, his complete force of nature, clearly. I mean, why do you think everything clicked so well for him? Was it that the system was designed to get the best out of him, as you were sort of describing there, sort of in any way in which you could sort of get him the right type of service in, in which he could thrive on? Um, and also... For those who maybe know the name uh, and have seen some of the goal highlight reels, but actually sort of still think, oh yeah, well he came up and you know wasn't too uh, successful when he was playing for a Premier League side or, or or something along those lines. I mean, what do people miss about Mitrovic? So I think there's an element of the fact that something that we touched on a part a bit earlier, like he in his first season in the Premier League he did score 11 goals in the Premier League which is nothing to be sniffed at um it is pretty good and he's 27 now and in 2018 19 uh you know you're looking at four or five seasons ago he was fairly young 
So to score at that level, at the highest level of, of British football, of English football, is pretty good going. Um, and then in a team that was pretty poor, to be honest, and did not fare very well and was not very competitive in the league under three different managers, all trying to implement their own style. Uh, and then you go to the next Premier League season under Scott Parker when he was hardly played in a team that we talked about earlier that was a bit more defensive and a bit more uh, trying to uh, uh, get teams on the counter-attack with, while scoring, whilst not creating a huge amount of chances uh, and therefore not scoring many goals. And he he didn't play that much. We Scott Parker preferred Ivan Cavallero in the centre-forward position because he because Scott Parker for whatever reason thought that we had a better chance with him leading the line which a lot of fans disagreed with to be honest and this this person also agrees with uh disagrees with as well um you know we would have loved to see Mitrovic play every week and score a lot of goals but it just wasn't in Parker's system so when you actually look at it game you know on a game minute by minute basis He's actually got an okay record for for Premier League teams that have not fared very well in the championship, and that's not down to Alexander Mitrovic. But when you see in his championship record speaks for itself, it's an absolutely absurd record. Um and you know, even the last season, he's now reaching his prime, he's twenty seven years old. Um, and when you've got a team that's um not it's not just geared towards getting Alexander Mitrovic goals. There were goals throughout the team. It's just it just sticks out the fact that Alexander Mitrovic scores <laughs> the goals. most yeah. <laughs> forty three goals in in one championship season. You know, um, it's always going to draw draw your attention to that. Um, yeah, I was going to say, and if, if, this if, is if you've got a system that's not designed just to purely get him <laughs> get him service and get him goals, yeah. and he still manages to get forty three goals. Uh, yeah, you you got exactly. a player on your hands because if you. Because if you look at if you actually look at a lot of Fulham's goals last year, Mitrovic was central to them, like not just the ones he scored. So uh, not just the ones he scores. Um, he he was in te- integral to the play in and around the box. This isn't make no mistake. He's he's a very very good footballer. He can head. He can hit with left foot, right foot. He he's getting better at being a target man as well as strange as it sounds for someone who you know comes across as a bit of a lump um he's becoming better and better especially against a lot of championship defenders who are there just to stop route one football um and you know you'll if um if you actually look back at uh one particular game we had the away game versus man city in the FA Cup, although Fulham lost 4-1, you actually look at the goal that Fulham scored, which was scored by uh, Carvalho. Mm-hmm. Mitrovic was central to that. Um, it was a brilliant sort of first time uh, uh, back to goal, right foot in between the full back and centre back, very Harry Kane-esque, um, which eventually led towards the goal. And that just gives you a little snippet of what potentially could happen next year if we're utilising a player of Alexander Mitrovic's standard um, in our team and our team are playing well and we're, you know, we're able to actually create goal chances for him. And I think, I think with Marco Silva at the helm, we'll be, we'll be able to, if we can keep him fit, which I'm sure we'd be able to. Um, and the players around him are playing with a bit of confidence too. 
Absolutely. No, I'm excited to see what you can, what you can do, this sort of new and improved version of him. Um, so yes, I think that's certainly going to be a battle for a hell of a lot of centre halves. Also really looking forward to him, uh, sort of coming up against, uh, uh, is it Lissandra Lopez, I think, just purely because there's so much of a narrative already, uh, has been established about the fact that he's not particularly tall. Um, it's just something that I feel like they're going to be unfortunately looking for every occasion, even if he does have a good season, which I can imagine he could do. Um, but, but before we go on to sort of talking about some of the incomings, uh, you, you mentioned him there a few times, and of course, Liverpool fans will, will want to hear your perspective on, uh, Fabio Carvalho. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I've only caught sort of bits and pieces of preseason so far. Uh, but I have to say, as somebody who had a lot of fun, and I know he's not the same type of, uh, I know he's not, um, the same player or anything like that, but as someone who had a lot of time for, uh, Coutinho when he was playing for Liverpool, um, there are a lot of similarities in how they glide about, um, that I have, have been very much, uh, enjoying, to be honest. I think he is, there's, there's huge amounts of uh, sort of finesse that you can see from the guy when he's uh, even in the the few cameos that he's had so far, and I'm sure he's going to be yeah loving the opportunity to work with uh, Thiago um, Alcantara as well, for, of course. But in terms of the kind of player that he was for for Fulham, um, and sort of the kind of play that player that you might sort of expect him to develop into. I mean, what were your thoughts on Carvalho? Um, I think he's a player that's potentially got it all, really. Um... Mm. He influences play up and down the pitch. He's got a great engine on him. Um, and um, I think that one thing that stands out from him that you just don't expect is considering his diminutive sort of stature and right. uh, his highlights reel that might actually show, oh, he's a great goal scorer, great with his feet and whatnot. I think that's one thing that you probably fans really cotton on to was the and really loved was his tenacity and how much he was able to win the ball in areas all over the pitch and you know when you've got that added into everything else that I've already just touched upon then you've got a really well-rounded footballer and especially at the age that he is and he's already sort of in he's you know there were matches last season where um, he was an absolute joy to watch. And at that age, um, and it wasn't just sort of like little snippets here and there. And you're like, oh, we could have a player here. He was already a player. He was already, um, uh, he was already miles better than opposition players that had 10 years on them who would thought that they'd be able to show that their experience counts for something. But no, he was able just to make them look a bit silly, really. But, you know, I think when you've got, when you've got that whole package at such a young age, I think that Marco Silva was able to sort of teach the te- the tactical stuff to him to say, okay, this is your, this is what you're going to do in a team. This is how you're going to operate uh, within our, our system to be able to win matches. And to be honest, that's what he did. He was able to take those instructions, um, playing that sort of, whether it was in a 10, if we're playing just three behind Mitrovic or playing the four behind Mitrovic, he was able to play in that sort of like left, left forward position. And he did it, he did it brilliantly. So um, Klopp has probably got a kid who's got it all and is able to take instructions. So yeah, um, I'm mm. going to, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm very jealous of the fact that, but it's, we're also delighted that you know, he's he's going to go on to bigger and better things, really. Um, it's just a shame it just won't be at Fulham in the Premier League, much like Sessegnon did 
when uh, he was able to at least have right. one one season in the Premier League. And we'd love we, you know, we we kind of know where we are in the pyramid of football. We'd love to we'd love to be um, hanging on to these young players a bit a bit longer. You know, I've mentioned two just there, but also players like Harvey Elliott. Harvey Elliott, yeah, of course. Um, but we want to we, we want to see we want to see these players flourish really um we sort of like look as look on them as proud parents mm. if anything even though we've had absolutely nothing to do with their development at all exactly and it could have been worse he could have gone to united couldn't he so <laughs> i think it could have been it could have been sort of a young player sort of going somewhere and, and dwindling oh, if, he, um, if he went to chelsea i think that would have broken everyone's hearts chelsea oh god yeah that 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 would have been grim no and, and I, yeah i was i was mindful of that the fact that obviously it's sort of uh Two of Liverpool's most promising um, sort of young talents, obviously, have come come from Fulham in, 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 in Harvey Elliott and, and, and now Carvalho. And the fact that actually that, that they're getting a chance to play together again, I think, is yeah, that's really great as well. It's really cool. You, you, you don't tend to see that very often, and you can see that there's um, yeah, clearly an understanding between them, even though there's been a few years since they've had a chance to actually play together properly for um, sort of a full season, I think, like that. So it's going to be yeah, it's going to be a very excited to see how he develops, uh, and I think you know one thing I have been surprised about, sort of looking into into his record, is I think some people view him as more of just a oh he's a, he's a creator, he'll be a creator. Whereas actually, uh, goals are a pretty consistent theme of his of his record so far. I, I know he's nineteen, so, so we'll see. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see into the play he develops. But um, just moving on to incomings, then I mean we could talk. You mentioned now, obviously Jean Michel. Seri departed, uh, Angisa, who I was really like, really like the look of as well, has, has, has departed to Napoli as well. Uh, but incomings, as you mentioned, Yapalina, uh, defensive midfielder from, uh, from, from, from Sporting. Um, again, that age range of about 26. Um, Andres Pereira, which is an interesting one, I think, from, from United. Uh, again, 26 as well. Uh, and then uh, Kevin Mbappé uh, from uh, Wolfsburg, um, sort of a right back. Uh, and I think there's a Manor Solomon as well, who's a left winger coming from Shakhtar on loan, I think, from looking at this. Um, one thing I want to touch upon there before you can maybe talk about the individual signings and um, which which roles you thought were really important for Fulham to actually get done this summer um, after last season, um, sort of strengthening the squad. The- Sorry, go on. I was going to sorry, carry on. No, I was I, I was just going to say that I think one thing that was definitely thrown at Fulham a few seasons back was trying to do too much, right? Okay, you, you're buying all these players. As you, I, th- I think Seri was one of them in that summer, right, where there was a lot of a lot of incomings in, and it's perhaps just too much work to try and integrate that many that many players. I'm just interested in what you think about the 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 approach in the transfer market this time round, and, and then you could talk about yeah, of course, the the, the individual players. So. The, I think there's been, there's been a, obviously, because of last season, how spectacular it was, they would have been quite easy to rest on our laurels. But a lot of fans already knew that business needed to be done to compete in the Premier League, especially as the gap gets wider and wider, as the money gets bigger at the top of the tree. Um, and there's, there was a lot of talk about where, where we should strengthen. The first position was, almost certainly centre-back. Um, like I mentioned before about Tim Ream and Tosin Adorabayo, yeah. um, growing in the championship. We love Tim Ream, don't get us wrong. Um, I would love him to play 38 games next year and we stay up. Um, that would make my heart, that would make my heart sing. <laughs> um, but reality, um, reality needs to strike. And the fact 
No centre back yet. Don't, yeah. No centre back yet. And that isn't just Tim Ream and Adarabayo. Again, I think they would just be about okay in the in the Premier League. Uh, but we don't have anyone behind that uh, at all. Um, Mawson has uh, gone, uh, who hardly featured. Michael Hector gone, hardly featured. Uh, Terence Congolo, who we signed like three or four years ago, has only played like two games, um, um, has hardly featured last season as well, and definitely most likely won't play a game at all next year either. Um, so we aren't really left with any, um, senior centre backs. And to be honest, the, this is probably indicative of the transfer window that Fulham are having. We've known this for a long time. We've known that Fulham were promoted quite early on in the season. You know, you're looking at March, April time, really, as arrogant as that sounds, but that's basically the fact of the situation. Um, and it's very, very different to the seat, the, the sort of pre-seasons that Fulham have had the last two times Fulham got promoted. First time around was in the playoffs. So that's already, you've got a condensed uh, transfer window. Um, the last time around was pandemic football. So we didn't actually get promoted until, uh, pretty much July, August time. Uh, so I think we only had six weeks in between, uh, the Brentford playoff final and the first game of the season. So, which is hardly any time and massively on the back foot to prepare for the Premier League season. This time around, you're, you know, you're looking at four, four months or so to prepare. And we're now, five days away from the first kick of the Premier League season without with only two senior centre-backs. Um, and to mention those players, not to go onto them individually, Kevin and Babu only signed last week. He only got his first minutes uh, under his belt in pre-season against Villarreal coming on as a sub uh, at the week, uh, yesterday even. Um, so it shows the sort of level of activity that Fulham have had so far. But a lot of outgoings, a lot of players who were on the fringes of the squad. Um, uh, Seri, who was very firmly in the first team squad, um, with only four players coming in so far. Um, Marcus Silva was very, um, he was a bit, there were murmurings, uh, towards the end of the preseason camp in, in Portugal. Um, but he was very vocal yesterday in the press conference. He said that say, I'm yeah. sure that. The, the the players he would say the players that we've got in yes I'm absolutely certain that they are prepared for the Premier League whereas the the but overall as a 16 16 senior players that we've got going into Premier League season that is no way to go into a Premier League season so but it's it's nothing new for Fulham Football Club um there's been a lot of um uh there's been a lot of discontent thrown at the director of football, which is the owner's son, Tony Khan, um, who has not um, been very, he hasn't talked about anything transfer window stuff. He has a, um, a wrestling franchise that is his own. He's the Vince McMahon figure of it. I'm aware. Um, yeah. He talks about, yeah. he talks about it solidly. Mm. Um, there's loads and loads of tweets about, um, anyone want to know what the director of football is up to this week? And there'll be a tweet of him being the Vince McMahon figure asking yeah. about who's going to be fighting at their version of WrestleMania or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, which is all well and good. He can go and do it. That's his, that's his thing. But 
you know, for for the director. For it's it's very unique to Fulham. Let's 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 be honest. And um, you know, it's a serious business these days being a being a director of football. It's not a football manager, championship manager, one hundred two thing anymore, where you can just skip the uh, put on holiday mode and just hope that whoever has got in, uh, uh, you know, as the assistant manager will do all the signings for you. But yeah, um, five days to go. It's not looking too bright. However, I do I do like the signings that we've we've got in so far. They they are quite sensible signings considering, um, um, and it the thing is though, looking at last season, where we've where we needed to plug the gaps. Yes, we needed a new right back after the departure of Neko Williams back to Liverpool. Yes, we did need another winger, and we've got that in Mana Solomon. Um, Yes, we do need we did need another centre midfielder. We've got that in Paulinia. Um, we need another centre back, that's for sure. We just haven't got it yet. But yeah, that's just only scratching the surface. That's only plugging holes. Mm. It's not really filling out the rest of the the structure. Yeah, and I th- I, th- I think the frustration is obvious as well. So when you mentioned as you did right at the start that you know it was pretty obvious for a while that Fulham were going to be going up. They've had the time. To you know, to identify targets and get them in early because, of course, all, all managers love love to have them in as early as possible to work with during preseason. Even if they were to, even if you were to sign an amazing centre back pairing now, it's, it's going to take them some time to actually, obviously, integrate. Mm. Um, so I was, I was looking, and it looks as though that there are offers on the table for a couple of different centre backs: Malang Sarr, Chelsea, Issa Diop at West Ham, apparently, and also Gannick Vestergaard, who's not had obviously that. That greater time at Leicester City since he signed as well. Yeah. Also, looks like Bernd Leno is due to come through the door um, pretty soon as well. I think there was a, a agreement reached with Arsenal um, for, for for him as another goalkeeper as well. But yeah, it's 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 hardly ideal. And as you as, as you mentioned, yeah, I think um, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of AEW. So you know, well done, Tony okay. Khan. But uh, you know, you need to be doing you need to be doing the other stuff. Like you can't just be can't just be talking about hell in the cell all the time. You need to be, need to be helping out uh, and doing doing both jobs. I, I can imagine it's no fun at all uh, having people. I mean, people the, the headlines will write itself on Saturday. It will be hell you know, in the cell. Just, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just yeah, it's. It's a headline writer's dream, I think, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I, I think you'd like him to keep a low profile and and be be as as um as less like Vince McMahon as 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 possible. Especially, I think that's um, become even more uh, sort of desirable over the last few weeks. Not to be like mm, Vince McMahon. Absolutely. Just don't do that in your life. Um, uh, but moving on in terms of sort of what you expect from from the season itself, then I mean, it sounds like. That there, there's the opportunity to get some more players, and there's still time. Um, but it's it's not setting you up for success at the start of the season. Silver's being very frank about that as well. Um, should you get those bodies through the door, uh, and, and actually, um, Silver has the players at his disposal to begin working with. I mean, what are sort of fans' expectations this time around for for the season? Um, obviously, the priority being sort of survival and um, and beyond. Um, but I mean. What are sort of fans' expectations at the moment? And then also, I mean, given the fact that you know, there are absences through injury, there are players you know still you know, just you know, getting minutes after being signed by the club. That's not an ideal start. How do you reckon that Silver will look to approach the Liverpool game? I think that um, Fulham fans have been ultimately scarred by the last two yeah. uh, um, uh, seasons, especially since that, like. Um, you know, we did we did go into them with fairly 
the first season with fairly high expectations, the second season um, less expectations. I think they're at, I think they're as low as they can be this time around, given what has happened and given what is happening over the summer as well. Um, so anything less than embarrassing ourselves, I think we're on to a winner, really. Um, I do think that the fans, I think a lot of the fan base, I'm not speaking for every single one of them, but I do think that there is a sizable bunch expecting uh, to stay up. Um, I think they look at things like the fact that we have huge backing from the owners. Uh, they are spending the money. Um, it's not small sums of money for a club our size, and they do expect them to perform. Um, we do have, uh, you know, regardless of what, uh, people outside the club think of Alexander Mitrovic. We do have a very, very good striker at the top, at the top of his game and his in his prime, and they do expect that we are going, you know, the players are going to give him service. Um, saying that, um, it could get quite nasty quite quickly um, if things don't go right straight away. Um, I think Fulham did the right thing about hanging on to Scott Parker as long as possible last year. It just didn't. Obviously, there must have been a breakdown between the club and Scott Parker um, in in the off-season. Um, I think considering the approach they did before that, where we had three managers in the same season with a d- disastrous spell under Claudio Ranieri um, in the middle of that. And then if you go even further back to our Premier League season in 2013-14, when we had three managers then and it was a pretty disastrous season then as well i think the 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 correct approach is to to stick to what you know the person who got you up and the person that knows the players unless it's really obviously bad so i think the worst thing that we can do is is try and pull the trigger straight away after two or three months when things starting to look ugly because you know we can go down the play a lot of the players do love marco silva um and if he goes there's a chance that a lot of the players will go as well um, saying that, my personal feeling is that 17th or higher would be an absolute dream, considering the gap in between the Championship and the Premier League has never been higher. Uh, there's a, I think, I don't know the exact figures, but it's getting less and less that teams do uh, stay up and continue to stay up from the Championship. We're seeing more and more, we're seeing more and more teams um, fail when they get to the Premier League, whether it's their first time, second time, third time. Um, so to actually stay up is a massive achievement. Um, the you know I I do have to see it kind of pragmatically and say like if Fulham get relegated, it's not the end of the world. We do have very wealthy owners. The only thing is is that the more money they put in, the more risk they're taking on for themselves. The more thing, the more likely that they might actually pull out and see no sort of value in their investment. And there are some very very high profile cases of that happening where owners just say no nope, i've had enough i'm not going to keep investing money fulham fulham uh posted a 94 million pound loss this year that is quite clearly unsustainable really it's quite clear that the the owner in it is just in it for the asset growth it's not he's not in it to try and make any sort of like um any sort of money going uh going forward he's in it for the asset gain and the only way that he's going to do that is consistent Premier League survival. Um, but yeah, back to back to the question at hand. My expectations are to give it a bloody good go, really, and try and stay competitive throughout the season because, mm. you know, 
it's the last two times there were flirtings that we might end up, you know, having a good go at trying to stay up, but it's ended up being a bit of a damp squib. Um, last time around, it was the January, February time. We were starting to pick up a few points. We were getting some wins. We were being, you know, quite competitive. We were keeping a hell of a lot of clean sheets. Uh, I think only Man City kept more clean sheets than Fulham in um, most of that season, which says quite a lot, actually. Just weren't able to put it in the old onion bag. So when we just couldn't sustain it, just couldn't get those wins and uh, still end up going down on 31 points, which is nowhere near any uh, uh, competitive amount of points. So hopefully if we can get, you know, 36, 37, 40, you know, that'd be great. Pick up some win early doors. That'd be great because the last two times it's been, you know, starting the season, conceding three every game and not scoring any. It's just... It's just not a way of things going. And then quickly the fans get in your back. You, the players start losing confidence. It's just not a way to, to go. So yeah, hopefully first few games pick up, pick up at least one win or two, get the team going, get the fans behind you. That'll be nice. Now, of course, and it's, yeah, it's both, that's why it's even more frustrating that they're not giving Marco Silva the best opportunity to do that, you know, in terms of sort of the squad being, Squad being already. Um, so, it, 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 in terms of how you think he'll, uh, given that context, I mean, how do you think he's going to approach um, a game like a twelve thirty kickoff against Liverpool at home? It's going to be. I don't know what he's going to do because yeah. um, my my heart says he'll stick to his guns about how he wants Fulham to play and say, "Look, this is the way we play football." We did it against Man City, and we more than matched them for a lot of that game. Um, we're obviously now a better squad because we bought in, you know, we'd never be able to attract Pereira, Paulinia and Babu, Solomon, those players. So we're a better squad now. We're playing a, a team of similar stature in Liverpool. You'd think that Fulham would stick to their guns. Marco Silva would be like, nope, I think we can compete here and and play our football and not just, you know, two two banks of four at the edge of our box and try and sort of sneak a draw. Um, you know, the, the only thing is, is that we tried that last time around, we got smashed 5-1 by, by Arsenal and the season before that was the pretty much the same thing. So, um, uh, I think that considering the players that we have at our disposal, maybe it's probably sensible that considering we haven't bought that many defenders in, we've got to rely on our attacking talent to, to do the work really. But, you know, we got to, Football's not played in isolation. We have to play the team in front of us. And, you know, there's a dearth of attacking talent that we'll be up against. Leave ourselves exposed and um, Salah will rip, rip us a new one. Or um, if it's not him, then it's going to be, you know, um, it'll be, I'm trying to think of another Liverpool player, Fabio Carvalho, <laughs> <laughs> will end up sort of scoring against us, uh, really. So... Hopefully, hopefully, if we can just give a good showing of ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, maybe get a goal or two, that'll that'll be nice to kick things on. Um, you know, keep the um, Liverpool contingent, maybe keep the thousand or so Liverpool contingent that's picked up Fulham tickets quiet. Yeah. That'll be nice. No, no, exactly. I think we have it. That's um, one thing. Sticking to principles, yeah, of course. But yeah, I I think as well at this time of the season, yeah, you want to you don't want to be sort of uh, you know. Um, taking on too much damage not that I think that you know 
um, Fulham would. I think Fulham are sort of a, a side that have shown they can they can match up sides like you, as you were talking about with the Man City game, uh, where I thought actually, actually despite the scoreline played very well, um, and as you mentioned, better players have come into the squad since then as well. But anyway, Farrell, I mean, yeah, thank you. Thanks as always for sort of coming on. It's like great to have you back and actually sort of get insight into sort of the journey that Fulham have been on since, you know, I suppose, since, since a little bit before we last spoke um, and sort of that transition from Parker to Marco Silva, uh, the sort of the return as champions, Mitrovic's individual uh, exploits, Tim Ream, who I'm, I'm now actually very excited to to watch more of it in the Premier League because I want to sort of uh, <laughs> check him out as well. He'll be on player cam for myself. But before we go, is there anything that you wanted to... Uh, to plug on your end, it is the pot. Yeah, so um, if you wanted to um, check some of the stuff that we do, so we're at the Fulhamish podcast, uh, Fulhamish pod on on Twitter. There's um, there's a lot of interesting chatter going on around not just the players but around the club itself. I touched on the stuff about Tony Khan. Uh, there's stuff that we're doing. I'm sure that Liverpool fans would be very interested to hear around the ticket pricing fiasco at mm. Fulham um we didn't get a chance to talk about it today but the match tickets for this weekend at, at the game absurd, is yeah. between 65 65 and 100 pounds which is just absolutely absurd there's a I'm, I'm part of the Fulham supporters trust board uh there's a we did a survey a couple of weeks ago on the back of that we've been speaking to the club about it um and the results of that will be released shortly but I can tell you that it's not it doesn't look very good from the club point of view We've also been talking about, um, so we did a, a thing last week with Philippe Eau the, um, the sports investigative, investigative uh, journalist, about the new sponsor, W88, the Asian-facing uh, white label gambling sponsor mm. that Fulham now have, um, which again hasn't gone down too well with the club itself. So although it looked very rosy on the pitch last season, there's some very interesting stuff that we're putting out at the moment. Um, around the sort of general sort of murmurings of discontent around the club and the way that it's being managed. It's, it's quite interesting stuff. It's not just Mitrovic is going to score another 43 goals this year. Um, it's actually stuff that really affects people's lives as well. And, uh, hopefully that Liverpool fans, if they want to check that out, it, it really does, um, sort of influence the world of football as well, hopefully. No, absolutely, definitely encourage everyone who's listening to to check that out, and I'm I, I'm just hopeful that you. Do, I was just happy that you didn't mention NFTs in there as well, because I think that's oh, that's God, been the other yeah. that's been the other thing. I think Liverpool tried to roll that out last season, uh, and uh, yeah, of course that's fallen completely flat, as as many people predicted it, it would do. Yeah. Um, but there you go. I mean, what do we know? Um, but anyway, thanks for coming on again, and uh, to all those who are listening. I mean, yeah, this is the first. First episode of Rival Recon for the season, uh, and it's, yeah, it could be a long one again. Let's hope it is a long one again. Um, and hopefully one with a sort of better conclusion in the end. Who knows? But uh, we'll be back again with another, um, episode of the pod, uh, ahead of the, ahead of the first Anfield game of the season against Crystal Palace on the 15th of August. So yeah, do check out all the, all the other great content that's coming out on the channel between now and then. But otherwise, we'll see you for the next pod ahead of the Palace game. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. 
you won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.